when I was typing my notes for this, uh, Word kept trying to <laughs> kept trying to tell me not to use fuck because it might offend our readers, our audience. Is that what it said? Yeah. So, uh, just a preliminary warning: this podcast may offend some people. It has graphic language and graphic material, graphic topics. Yeah. So, if you don't like the word fuck, this is not for you. Just a warning. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, welcome back to the crime library. This is a another true crime podcast for you. I'm one of your hosts, Sarah. And I'm Jesse. And we are on part three of I'll Be Gone in the Dark. We are finally bringing it home, guys. If you're here. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. We just want to thank you. You like us. You really like us. Um, I didn't even know if we would get here and we got here. (laughs) Yes. So thank you. (laughs) It has been fun and we hope to do this a whole lot more. Um, yeah. Stick with us as we learn and grow, but let's let's talk about this shit, dude. I was going to say this part, you can definitely see the difference. Yeah. Because as we came to the end last time in part two, we learned about Michelle's death and the book was not completed. This part, they tell you that it's not written by Michelle. Yeah, this they actually, written. they say um, they tried to... Like duplicate her writing to just see if they could finish it. Yeah, like they couldn't get close to it. They couldn't bring themselves to do it. So that's how we ended up with the book we yeah. have today, where it's in different sections. But um, yeah, because yeah, because I they were talking about it, um, and they were saying that when they did try to just write it, they said it would have been more of a like slap to the face because you would be able to tell that yeah. it wasn't Michelle's writing and it would have just been doing a disservice. So they wanted to make it clear that this was them. They weren't trying to be Michelle. They knew they could never be Michelle. Right. No one. I think that was very, I think that was very honorable. Yeah. I think it was smart of them not to try and push it. And in case you didn't hear me mention it 6,000 times, our writer is Paul Haynes, but also Billy Jensen, who is, who Paul Haynes was her research uh, assistant, but Billy Jensen actually does write true crime books. And he's also a friend of uh, Michelle's. So we kind of go into different sections of her laptop. She's passed away. They have all this information and they're trying to figure out what to do with it. In my notes, I wrote vast wealth. You could tell I was just trying to (laughs) (laughs) make myself sound much like you're trying to get the word count up on your like college essay (laughs) where you have to meet a certain word count. (laughs) This was a vast wealth of knowledge. There's just a whole bunch of shit in her laptop (laughs) is what it actually That's exactly what it is. It's literally just a whole, not necessarily shit, but a a lot of it is so much shit. She has all those case case files that we talked about that she, you know, drove in, got this mother load of stuff. Yeah, like thousands and thousands. Um, She has case files that she uh, did a deal with the social worker. They didn't say it in the book, but they do say it in the Dr. Series. She had um, a bunch of case files that only she had, and she traded it with Michelle for some information. So that's also on there. And then her writing and just so much shit. So this part actually kind of goes into two things that we should talk about. One... Uh, both of these things are things that Michelle really thought and ended up being right. She honestly thought catching this guy was going to come down to two things, the geo-profiling and the familial yeah. DNA. So let's talk about yeah. geo-profiling. Well, this was – it's such an interesting concept 
reading it in the book for me was not that interesting. Right. Um, I a hundred, this part had a lot of facts, a lot of like things. Yes. So it wasn't maybe as interesting as Michelle's writing, but they do. Um, but it's still, like I said, it's a very interesting yeah. um, and knowing that people do this. Geoprofiling, they're trying to kind of map out where this guy lived. Right. Because they, and the guy who actually invented this, the word geoprofiling, oh, yeah. which wasn't even a word until the 80s, geoprofiling. Um, his name was Kim Rossimo. He created a map. He actually geoprofiled the Golden State Killer. And Paul, he did one separately without ever having seen the map. Right. And they matched up. They were so close. They kind of try to make, it's like a triangle. Yeah. And his like comfort try zone. Try to figure out, exactly, a comfort zone. And they try to figure out where the home base is and where they believe that he lived on both of their maps. It was like really within a close distance to one another's maps, which so I thought was not really, really cool. Yeah, there's not a whole lot to say on that, but I did find it really fucking interesting that Michelle and Paul actually created a database, a whole freaking database that had uh, marriage certificates, divorce decrees, telephone lists, alumni lists. They put all of this, they found someone to create a database for them so they could cross-reference as yeah. That's how much work they put in. That's insane. It's insane. People don't even do that much work in their real life jobs. No, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> in their everyday life. And this is just on a case that they're not even actually, I mean, she kind of was working it because she was writing a book on it and all well, that. And then he they have some connection. Yeah. yeah. It, there's a, con- but exactly. Yes. But he there's is no, too. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know what I'm no, trying to get there's at. There's no like, like big paycheck <laughs> for them. Yeah. To like do this. So, yeah, it just blows my mind that this this much effort went into this. And then the second thing that she really thought, which ended up being true, was going to help is familial DNA. I really, oh, I say this 6,000 times, so I wish she could see how much she kind of foretold in this situation because it really is kind of uncanny how much she zeroed in on Yeah, um, and this is like literally how he was caught. caught. I thought it was interesting that Paul Holes had once, <laughs> he had once thought he found, because he kept um, uploading the DNA profile into different categories, yeah. and, like checking, and he once thought he had a match. I guess um, on these searches, you can get as close to like a, one, a, a 1% match, which is like a close, like a cousin or something, or maybe a sister. Right. No. He's never gotten a zero, which would be the actual person. But then he, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he puts it into this database. He gets a zero, freaks out. Michelle, we get a little bit of Michelle's writing here. And again, it's amazing. And she goes to tell the story, but it's cut off. It's unfinished. It ends yeah. up being that another detective or private eye or somebody, somebody else working the case had done the same thing he did. And yes, put the same profile. <laughs> so he was just matching the exact profile. It was not the person. It was just... That had to be, I mean, other person about, <laughs> putting it up there. Yeah, we had, we talked about in last episode, like the highs and lows. I had, that would be like the biggest crash. Like, you think, can you, you imagine? I actually got this guy a zero. You found a zero, this, which matches this is him. <laughs> and then, and then it's like, oh, wait, it actually really is him. <laughs> But I still don't know who him is. <laughs> and this is another one that's, that's like yeah. heavy in the information of DNA. Interesting, but not always something that I can follow. But at one point, Michelle thought she found a link through Ancestry website. Ancestry, yeah. 
only to like bring it up to whoever was working the case, I guess, Paul, I don't know, but they said that this would have had, they would have had to trace back 300 years. Yeah. I just wrote DNA is fucking confusing <laughs> again. It's so confusing. I had Even as they were talking science. about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had to cheat in science. So I couldn't do this shit. Uh, again, kudos to the fucking people who do dedicate their lives to this kind of thing, because obviously it ain't me. <laughs> you know, you don't want to be a DNA expert either. Not even in the slightest. But with the DNA section does come some places I'm comfortable with, or they bring up the question of, is it morally morally doable to do DNA this way? And it brings up the quote from Jurassic Park, which I think is one of my favorite freaking quotes of all times. Yeah, it says, your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Which is interesting because you know how we used to have um, game nights in New Jersey and we'd invite friends and we'd all sit around and play. It was right after Nick and I had got our ancestry test done and we talked about the same thing. Like, should you do that? And one of our friends, I'm not going to say her name, but one of our friends said, this is before she had kids, that she wouldn't do it just in case something happened like for her kids. And something happened where their DNA matched. She doesn't want that to come back on them. Which my whole point was, well, then your kid shouldn't be doing something where the DNA yeah. is very simple. But I guess what I'm trying to say with the story is that there is people who do believe maybe it shouldn't be happening. Maybe you shouldn't be using this DNA to connect familial matches to solve crimes, which is a weird concept to me because I'm all for it. But there are people out there who think it's not the morally right thing to do what do you think well from what i gathered they weren't just doing it from like 23 and me and like those like no michelle was yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah, but not yeah not uh but like police officers cannot Mm -hmm. and and i think that really is kind of why because that's to me is a breach of See, I privacy on that because if you're not doing these rapes or these murders well only because when you're putting it into those sites they're like they're telling you that they're not using it for that maybe if like that stuff wasn't there and i don't i don't know i don't really know what i'm trying to convey but i think in other cases where you put your dna if you've committed crimes and things like i, I totally get that right but I don't, I, I don't know. I think it's a fine line. Um, I'm not worried that if I put my DNA up right. there and my kid becomes a serial killer and they find them through my DNA, like you said, that comes back on my kid. I just think I that understood her the point privacy because, reason. Yeah, you want to protect your child, but in my head, there's no protecting them from what they did wrong. Does that no, mean stop exactly. loving them? No, absolutely not. You probably still love them, but that doesn't mean that you can excuse the things that they did wrong. They still have to face consequences. Part of loving your children, I think, is letting them have those consequences in life. Yeah. Um, exactly. If my child committed a crime and DNA was the way to solve it, I would offer my DNA to help solve it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I would not be afraid to help solve a crime if my child was a bad person and needed to be, you know, I think have it would consequences be for their actions. For sure. I do too. I think there's no clear, like easy way through that. You're, you're getting hurt. Everyone's getting hurt. But um, yeah, if your child commits rape and multiple murders and multiple rapes, then it comes back to you ultimately, not your family putting their genetics on the internet. (laughs) 
Yeah. No, I think it's interesting. But I'm also one of those weird people that's like, if you see an ad pop up of something you've talked about on your phone, I don't necessarily care that people are listening into my conversations because what the fuck am I talking about? <laughs> like, right. What do, <laughs> Kyle and I just had that conversation. I'm just It's been happening so much more and more, I've I noticed. Nick Mochi ice cream. We hadn't texted. We hadn't like the only way they could know is through my credit card. And he had a Mochi ice cream uh, ad on his phone. It was weird as shit. Yeah. But I also don't care about that. So I think uh, maybe my viewpoint is coming from one not like everyone else's. I think if a crime can be solved. If you can bring closure to That's kind of where I think too, but I think you should have approval if you're getting it from right. I understand. So you're saying it's the, it's the clarity of it when you do the testing, when you send yes. it in your I understand that. Yes. I get that. Like if someone contacted me and was like, We've been doing this family tree thing and we think that there you can have a connection. Are we allowed to use your DNA? I think I should have a choice to be able to say like yes or no. Right understandable i just um, don't care so that's, that's what just what i think because yeah ultimately and i feel the same if my dna is going to catch a killer or catch a rapist or solve a crime by all means use it but hey just like let me know so, yeah <laughs> i just want the option to be nice it's like when we, we get invited think- to parties and we know we're gonna say no but we would just like the option because we, we never just say want yes. the option just include <laughs> us in the- <laughs> We never say yes. We're not going to those fucking parties. But just invite us, please. Yeah. <laughs> Let us know. Take my can. DNA because I have nothing to hide. But just ask me first. Just ask. I want to be included in this situation. <laughs> and then, guys, that's really um, the end of the book officially. The formal ending of the book is just an, a letter, an email to her editor talking about how she's going to end the book, which I thought was brilliant yeah uh, ending the book I do, book I do too how she's gonna end the book she talks about letting the readers be the detectives in order to join in the search which i think had this not been solved while the book tour was going on and people had read it say he had never been captured yet i think it would have created so much inspiration oh my gosh yeah so i think that's a brilliant i feel like those book. online boards would have grown immensely like mm-hmm. if it's didn't get solved so quickly after and the boys just say because she mentions that she wants to let the reader play detective to help solve the book and the boys say we will not stop until we get his name we'll be playing the detective as well that's the ending of the official book the official yeah we're not done yet stick with us us. (laughs) but it doesn't stop there it doesn't stop it doesn't stop there because we have some beautiful writing and we have some beautiful things but we also have information afterwards because this book did come out and then they caught the killer so which is still insane to me how fast that all happened after the book officially ends we get a heartbreaking afterward from Patton also and I loved it because one you could see him in it there was like funny jokes and like it wasn't all somber and yeah you know it wasn't all kiss assy to Michelle either it was it was a perfect perfect way honestly for the book yeah and uh, yes you I feel like you got to see the love yeah and you got the... to see it after she's already gone so in yeah the- in the other two parts, we got to see glimpses as they were having this relationship, but now yeah. you're seeing it after she's passed away. Ooh. Right. 
I got goosebumps yeah. on that. And you're seeing the love he still has for her. And I think that's so beautiful. And he writes, um, he calls her a, a crime fighter. And he speaks about her with so much passion and love. And he says yeah. that he hopes that someday if they catch him, he says, I'm, I'm still hoping he hears the cell door slam behind him. And I hope she hears it somehow, too. Oh, yeah. So he still wants this, this sense of uh, closure. But... In the documentary, he also talks about how all these things, finishing the book, doing the book tour, and then the capture of him. It's an amazing thing, but it's also a finality on his wife actually being gone. So when the book wasn't finished, he still had pieces of her. And when the book was finished, he still had the book tour. And when that's finished and they actually catch the killer, you know, he doesn't have anything left of her anymore. I know that makes it all like almost bittersweet. I think that's probably how he felt too. Like, obviously I want this guy to be caught. Right. But knowing that he's not. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. Obviously I want the book to be finished, but if I hold on to it, then I'm holding on to a little piece of Mm -hmm. her. So it really is a great um, indicator on how much he valued her work that he was willing to kind of part with the stuff that gave him a little bit of a piece of her. But one thing he does have is Alice. Oh, yeah. Afterwards, he talks about how she figures out that Daddy and Santa have the same handwriting, which is so funny and cute and clever. I remember the morning I realized, like the Christmas morning, I realized that too. I was like, "Hmm, that looks like my mom's (laughs) handwriting. (laughs) So I know, like, I understood exactly. (laughs) My mom had wrapped Christmas, I think I was six my mom had wrapped christmas presents early because she was always fucking busy so she had to get it done ahead of time and hid them in her room but she had already filled out the tags and some of them said from santa and i was like well yeah <laughs> santa's well, not real <laughs> i know and i always wondered like why does santa use the same wrapping paper that we have <laughs> like i hmm. like the explanation but anywho yeah so yes <laughs> he, he says that uh michelle elaine mcnamara is gone but she left behind a little detective and a mystery because it's not solved yet and i got yeah. full body chills yeah. When I read that. And I think like, because we've read it now, they've added to mm-hmm. this part now that he was caught, but I can imagine. Yeah. That was supposed to be the reading end. that beforehand. Exactly. And that just being how it ends because mm-hmm. it's just, it's powerful. Um, but as we know, it's no longer a mystery. Yeah. I think that, I think he wrote it really, really well. I think he did a great job. I think he, showed his love for her yeah it showed the and even for the book you know he like knew this right was her life's work i think it would have been easy for him to be bitter about it like this is the thing that oh completely it would have been so easy it pushed her over the edge and and, yeah yeah. in that grief and he's such a strong person that he didn't let that happen we go from um extremely beautiful writing from Patton to a extremely powerful letter from michelle this is the epilogue this letter to an old man i could take it away this was the part i wanted to read the most and i think a lot of it was because going into this i already the killer was already caught i had already read about it two right. years ago when he was caught. So I already was familiar with Joseph D'Angelo. See, I wasn't. To a certain, to a certain degree. I wasn't, I didn't, didn't know, know everything about him. But I, you know, I knew who he was. And 
I just was so excited to like read this and have that satisfaction because I know that this is what the end goal was no matter what was for this old man to be found to be put behind bars they didn't want to find out that he had died 10 years ago they wanted him to be behind bars that anticipation I was just like oh my god and I knew it was going to be written so beautifully Mm -hmm. but I just I couldn't wait to kind of hear her actual like last word to this man yeah I think it's powerful before they found him and it's powerful after they found him mm-hmm. it lives in two separate completely places. completely um, powerful before him because it talks about the fear that he might feel as he's getting oh my gosh when they're coming up to his door they're coming up to his door <sighs> powerful after this is what actually happened they came to his house and they took him away and then she talks about him pretending to be you know an old frail man and that's literally what he did she says the doorbell rings there's no place for him to go basically she says this is how it ends for you you'll be silent forever and i'll be gone in the dark you threatened a victim once open the door show me your face walk into the light michelle mcnamara i literally speechless i'm not even exaggerating speechless just in those that because that really was the end of the book mm-hmm. and just she- kissed Perfect. Yeah, she sums up literally if all you read is the letter to an old man, you can get a feel what the other parts of the book are about. She talks about his approach. She talks about the things he left yeah. behind. She talks yeah. about um, how the victims describe him, his sense, everything. Exactly. And I love how she brings because, Sorry. you know, she does, she's talking about the fear that he cause these people and how you made them feel when you came to their houses and when you broke in when you imposed yourself on their life and then she brings that to the end and she says you're going to hear the car pull up you're going to hear these people they're going to open the door like you're going to feel that fear mm-hmm. that you made so many other people feel and i think that was just full circle is that a good way to put it? Oh, like yeah. A full that's... circle almost because. And it's a full it's circle like, she didn't know happened, but it still happened. But it, and it happened. Exactly. I think that, like you said, it they work in two separate spaces so beautifully because that's exactly how it happened. They just closed in on him ex- almost perfectly, exactly as she described it. Mm-hmm. And before we knew that was happening she wrote this and at first you're just thinking it's this moving piece and then it's like not only is it this moving piece it's exactly how it happened so it's almost surreal yeah it's it's a perfect example on why she should be remembered for this book and for her work on this case because she just had such good insight such good power in her words she should definitely go down oh and that pisses okay so that's perfect. That brings me into the appendix at the back of the book, which yeah. was added afterwards. So in the original book, yes, um, this wasn't here. And it's kind of talking about the book and it's talking about, uh, it's, I guess it's a New York Times article. Yes. Um, it's talking about how Patton found out. Uh, Patton yeah. found out he, they were on this book tour and someone asked him, do you know, do you think you'll ever catch this guy? And in his response, he's like, yeah, eventually. Like he thought this was far off in the future but he didn't know that four hours prior to him answering this question they had actually arrested joseph d'angelo yeah um and then they oh it's so 
the thing that always gets me, I think that I'll remember is in the docuseries, they have footage of him coming down from his hotel room when they're like going to find out more about the case and someone's holding a camera on him. He's like, how do you feel, Pat? And, and he's like, I feel like I wish you were asking Michelle these questions right now. And yeah. it just was so heartbreaking. Yeah, so they, I know because that's her husband, but just us as fans, I feel the exact same way. Yeah. I can't even I imagine. I want to know her side of the story too i wanted yeah the excitement she would feel her thoughts on it how the joy that she'd probably feel and the confusion too like now we have you now i have all these questions and it's just yeah we'll never get to hear any of those thoughts and and they do talk about how um a little bit how they feel about doing this without her about talking about yeah. him being captured about her and they feel like it's such a huge piece missing which there is about doing this press without her and people ask pat and you know uh what do you what do you do from here and he says i take a step back but he does say yeah. he would like to i thought it was funny he would like to visit the gsk kind of like we were talking about and finish asking mm-hmm. uh michelle's questions to him which to I wrote to that what a freaking husband because there's no way Nick would <laughs> go and visit a serial killer <laughs> after I'm long dead and gone to find out these yeah. questions for me. I don't think Kyle would either <laughs> for me. But that's what pissed me off is in the section the cops are asked if they feel like Michelle had a hand in getting this guy and they say no, she didn't. And that made me so it was dismissing her. Yeah. And everything she did. And it was so annoying to me. I agree. Um, Because I've... Not that the... Michelle solved the case by any means. But but I think she... They wouldn't have had that push to life to it. Exactly. She put a life into it that wasn't maybe necessarily as there. I think without her... I don't know. She had such a passion for it. I think it drove the search for him for them yeah. to close the case even further. So yes, I agree. I think it was rude of them to say that about Michelle. Yeah, just it, it brought me to like a, a, the whole, one of the whole reasons, there's probably many reasons, but one of the reasons that the sol- this case didn't get solved earlier is because of the refusal to work with other police dr- districts, because of this weird territorial um, attitude about your cases. And I just felt like that was the same yeah. thing. Like, it feels like not much has changed from the time of this press conference to the Santa Barbara days. Like, right. And that's a that little disheartening. Sense. Yeah. That's a good analogy. Yeah, it just made me mad all over again. Just work together, <laughs> people. Just, just work together. together. We just want him caught. <laughs> Do you not want this freaking rapist off the street? Or you chill with him just being there? What's happening? <laughs> and that's how the book actually ends. Which, honestly, yeah. I think I could have done without the appendix. There's a part in Patton's afterwards where where he talks about all this stuff. He talks about his, yeah. you know, his journey and how everything happened and how the guy was caught. So that's already there. I don't think there needs right. to be the appendix. I didn't love it because it's basically like a summary of the case and the people in it. And you already read that in the book. So let's close that book, Sarah. We're finally done. Sarah, okay. Ready to talk about. All things Joseph D'Angelo. We can just well, pick it apart. I don't moment. think we need to talk about all things. No, Joseph okay. D'Angelo. So we're just going. That's exactly. I said <laughs> I got most of my information off of Wikipedia because let's face yeah. it, his story doesn't really matter that much. So, but he, no, agreed. So here's the basics. 
He was born in 1945 in Bath, New York, which I'm sorry, upstate, that we produced this kind of person. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not proud. I'm not repping that. Um, Bath is relatively close to where I used to live in upstate New York. Okay. Um, He had two sisters and one brother. So here's where it gets, here's where the question, the conversation starts. One of his sisters, he witnessed being raped when she was seven and he was around 10 um, on an Air Force base in Germany, which let me tell you, living on an Air Force base, I literally feel safe and secure all the time. When I read this, right. it, it took some of that from me <laughs> because you yeah. just don't think stuff like that can happen. And I know this is this is a long time ago, but man, that really took some some of my safety and security. And his other sister claims that his father was abused or yeah, that yeah his father was that's, abused. Mm-hmm. so we have this bad family dynamic and then he witnesses something so young and they do yeah. say when you witness violence when you're younger, you do tend to, especially if it's the sexual kind, you tend to like relate to that with sex from then on. Got you. Right. I'm not a fucking doctor. Like, Don't take me at that verbatim, but that's just something I've heard. I mean, I could see how people could theorize that. So, And he doesn't matter, like I said, like we said, but it is interesting to know the factors yeah. in his life. Um, yeah. He apparently committed burglaries and killed small animals as a teen. Like, fucking yeah. boy, man. And it's like, we kind of talked about that with the uh, guy who like figured out DNA. He right. cut up a cat and we were talking about like the intentions behind it. And it's like, right, but well, if you're I don't think these intentions were good. <laughs> right. And the cat, I think there's a very big distinction that the cat was already dead on the side of the road versus him killing Joseph. D. That's D. true. Killing That's true. Animals. Just killing. I know, but still mutilating is weird to me, but yes, no, I, I think completely. it's only mutilation. Huge difference. I think there's a difference between mutilation and dissecting though because i think mutil- yeah yeah because we have to like dissect cats and stuff and yeah it's scientific science classes you're very you're very right i'm just here making making leaps <laughs> just leap that bound sarah leap I'm just it. leaping it <laughs> um so he joined the navy because let me fucking tell you something about the military there's some tell fucked me, up people girl. in it you know this i know this anyone who's grown up in jacksonville know this there are some fucked up people in the military they do not do a thorough enough psychological evaluation but this is in like the 50s no. and 60s so there's even less and who knows what the yeah. fuck he did while he was in and vietnam. it was during the vietnam war mm-hmm. which to me was such a crazy time military like especially yes around that. they're not it's weird to think about because today there is such a sense of pride around our military there absolutely was not back then yeah there were so many people who did not want to be in vietnam at all mm-hmm. and i know there's many horror the stories exactly exactly it was not a very good time in America, in American military, like, so... Right. but if you remember... Yeah, who knows? Michelle mentioned um, in the Contra Costa section uh, that she had questions about him being in the military. Yeah, that was yeah. something that profilers believed he... They were like, he might be a cop, he might be prior military. I mean, he was, was both, something, so. <laughs> And he was both. He, so yeah. they do so get they it right. they did have some things right. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, he went to college and gained a bunch of different degrees, uh, which led yeah, to uh, yeah, yeah. But I feel like also states that you don't have to graduate college to be a decent person. Because look who did no. not graduate college, but also didn't rape and murder people. That's to you. A decent human. Decent human. I just need a shirt that says that. Decent human. <laughs> he was the Visalia ransacker from 19... 19- 73 to 1975 and during this time he's also working a burglary say it for me burglary burglary (laughs) unit burglary i can't say it it's a word i can't (laughs) say he's also working in that unit in a town near visalia so while he's mapping out these crimes and doing these things and getting away from it he knows because he has on the jump training of what they're looking for on the other side that like i didn't i wouldn't necessarily like blow my mind because when you think about it it makes sense but it's also just kind of like what the because you were literally investigating burglaries as a police officer and then at night you're going and you're doing exactly what you're putting people in jail for let's talk about the police Fucking crazy evaluation apparently they need to jack that shit up which i'm sure they have this is again in the 70s um he was the east area rapist from 1976 to 1977 where his victim counts were 50 rapes and two murders the majorities so this is what i want to talk about and i've been holding it in because i knew this information but i didn't want to say it before so remember in the book we're talking about how there's a line where we don't understand what was crossed for him to kill to go from raping to killing and a lot of rapists don't right. go. So in 1979, he was fired from the police department and that's when he yes. was killed. So I feel like that was the pressure for It was him. like a trigger. Mm-hmm. And he was fired because he was caught shoplifting a shoplifting. hammer and dog repellent. <sighs> Two things that he would need to be this person ransacking and now raping. He only received six months probation. And during this time, when police get fired, they don't normally just get fired. There's like a, a period of time where things are investigated right. and all that. He threatened to kill the chief of police and even stalked his house. So back when he was the Visalia ransacker too, I didn't mention this. He got married in 1973. Yeah. The same year he started. What was, what makes you, like people say, oh, if you get married, do you stop? That was the year he started. So what crimes did he commit before that, I wonder? Probably burglaries. They separated in 1991, but she didn't actually divorce him until all, like, last Until he was caught, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that woman's got some stories. I know. He was uh, the original Night Stalker from 1979 to 1986 which is when he had um the 10 murders which is basically part one of the book yeah why am i not only was he married either but he also had three daughters yep he had three daughters they say that i don't know their birth dates i didn't look it up but they say a lot of his breaks coincide with the side with that yeah because it just said he had three obviously before they separated in 1991 Mm-hmm. Um, so I imagine it being from like the early eighties on. Yeah. That's so, that's weird to me that he starts the year he gets married. So that says to me, there's crimes beforehand and some probably peeping Tom crimes at least. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I wonder what gave him. It just birth. blows my mind. And I know he's not the only person. I know there's so many other rapists, murderers right. who target women and are fathers to daughters. 
but that is a very and it's like it just blows my mind because it's like can you imagine someone doing this to your daughter i guess some men it isn't how it works he doesn't care because he's hurting his daughter so it's just crazy and i guess like some people don't feel like empathy so then he was arrested so let's go to his arrests and trials. We're done with his crime spree. For some reason, he stopped after Janelle Cruz in 1986. This is where Paul Holes really comes in. He uploads the DNA into GEDmatch, which is a like a government-funded familial DNA lab. Right. They receive a list of 10 to 20 people who had the same great-grandparents. So that's how far back it goes to the great-grandparents as the GSK. The team working on the case then made a family tree and began narrowing down the people. They zeroed in on D'Angelo and retrieved his DNA sample from the handle of his car and then confirmed it with a tissue in his trash. The handle of yeah. his car. That's so interesting. I know. That makes you think like... <laughs> In this day and, and then a tissue from his trash. I'm like, y'all went in his trash. Which once trash is on the street, it's public property. Yeah, but do you know but how involved you have? To, like, they have to. Get that's it. gross to they me. Have to replace it with other trash. Like, there's a whole fucking operation that's more in depth than you. Would oh yeah. To pick someone's trash up. And he like the house that he was arrested in. He had been living in for like what since the 70s or 80s. Like pretty much the entire time. Mm-hmm. One like, of the um, one of the crime areas, he used his sister's house as a uh, like a safe point. So where gotcha. they were geo profiling that he had lived, his sister actually lived. Gotcha. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. On April twenty fourth, two thousand eighteen, Sacramento County. I'm literally just reading from Wikipedia at this point. <laughs> Sacramento <laughs> County Sheriff deputies arrested Michael or not Michael arrested D'Angelo. He was charged with eight counts of first-degree murder with special circumstance on May 10th. The Santa Barbara County District Attorney's Office charged him with four additional counts of first-degree murder. So here's here's what I want to talk about and is interesting to me. And kind of in her writing, she maybe not proves it. We'll talk about it. Uh, when he was being interviewed, interrogated, he confessed, but he kind of confessed because he referred to an inner personality named Jerry. Yeah who would force him to commit the waves of crime that ended abruptly in 1986. According to the prosecutor, he said to himself while alone in the interrogation room after his arrest in April 2018, I didn't have the strength to push him out. He made me. He went with me. It was like in my head. I mean, he's a part of me. I didn't want to do those things. I pushed Jerry out and had a happy life. I did all those things. I destroyed all their lives. So now I've got to pay the price. It brings me back to... All those times he was talking to somebody. I'm not saying that this is actually what happened, but it's right. interesting to me. All the times he was saying, I have a friend with me and we are doing this. Right. And the, or he's talking like to someone. He had Doesn't a delusion in his head. have another like, personality. I maybe think... that just goes um, to like when he's a killer, he's calling himself Jerry, but when he's a family man, he's calling right. himself Joe. Like, I think maybe he. I don't know. Again, not a doctor, but I just think that maybe not that this Jerry would come out and be like, go kill this person, go rape this person. Right. But maybe he did have like an imaginary friend almost. Yeah. Having a dual personality would let, would be a way of letting yourself do these things, but then go on living. 
Right. Exactly. Like maybe used it as a coping mechanism or like something. Rape victims Make all it the time easier. Disassociate from the circumstances. Maybe he does that and then says, "Right, the person doing these things, these actions, is someone yeah. else." I just thought, yeah, that like I don't. I mean, I don't know the man, and I. But I feel like if I he had never know this the dual person, yeah, <laughs> I feel like if he did have this dual personality, people close to him would have seen it more so than they did. Most, some of the neighbors said he had like some outbursts where he'd get mad, but I don't feel like it was anything too so extreme that he'd have this dual personality that would make him kill people. Right, which also I think about Bonnie. She wasn't ever saying that he was this nice, sweet guy and like. This is his fiance, Bonnie. Um, right. She wasn't ever saying he was this nice, sweet guy, and then he would just snap. She was saying all the time he was consistently being this, you know, forceful personality and making her do things she didn't want to do and trying to force things on her. So if there was a, a split, where was the nice side during those times? Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's just what from a, just from the testimonies we've seen and heard or whatever. It just doesn't necessarily make sense that it's like this split personality but again i have no idea yeah i don't know it's it's a he's not fascinating i don't want to remember his name i don't want to remember i mean Mm -mm. his face is stuck in my mind now but i like i don't want to remember him i want to remember the things michelle talked about the victims and the the investigation but i think she too would be interested in this part of it this yeah. What makes a person yeah. do that? Because I think basically why we watch true crime is you come down to that one question. Why? Why did it happen? Is it preventable? Is there something I can do to, to prevent it? If I see these signs in someone, like, I just think it's it's interesting to his why, maybe. We have his father. Yeah. We have his sister's rape. We have Jerry. There's there's excuses there that don't excuse anything. Um, it's information, I guess. And then just as we started doing this... Uh, yeah, he was actually starting trial. Yeah, well, not trial because he. Uh, oh yeah, it was like the because he pled guilty. The victim impact statements, which I only watched one, which was Jane Carson, who was the woman whose husband had just left that we talked about, and her son was there. Yeah, um, asking if D'Angelo was uh, a doctor because of the bandages. I couldn't oh, make yeah. it through all the way, honestly. And I know I'll go back because like. Like I said before, I feel a sense of like duty to hear these people hear that. Story. Um, Completely agree. But yeah, I think it'll be a while before I do. I started watching some. I had to like take a break because the video I was watching it was like an hour long. It was like you said, it's definitely important. I wanted to hear some of them weren't even the victims. Uh, one of them, it was her sister, her oh, mother, yeah. like um, Debbie Domingo's daughter. Yeah. Harry Domingo's like, daughter, exactly. Debbie. But like we said, that just shows he affected so many people, not even just the ones he first handed attacked. Like it went beyond that. Um, so I do, I do think it's important to hear their testimony to remember them. Mm to hear what they have to say to this man that ruined their lives. Yeah, like, good. Now you have to sit here for the, like you said, one of them was an hour long and there was multiple testimony. Good. Fucking sit here and listen to exactly detail. No and I that. love that they did that, that they allowed these women and these men. I'm not, the ones I watched have all been women, but I'm not saying that no men came up and testified. I'm not really sure. Right. Um, these people got their chance to say their piece. 
to confront him, something some of them probably never thought they'd be able to do. Yeah, no, one of the one of the victims had died of cancer before this had happened. So she didn't get to see him be brought to justice, but her family was there. And I I think it's wonderful that it was allowed and it happened and they made him sit there and listen to it. I don't always love the idea of victim impact statements because some people like him get off on the terror of others, but I do realize how important it is for someone to be able to stand up in a court of law and exactly things. And now you're going away where you're not going to be, where you're going to be the one who's locked away and locked up, not able to move how you want to move. And you're going to be the one. And he, he gave a very pitiful sorry at the end of all this. Oh, I know. Literally nothing he could say. It would have been better if he had just shut up. Honestly. Yeah. Nothing you say at this point is going to change anything. It's going to make anyone feel any differently. It happened so long ago. And I know these women and these people still carry it with them. But Mm -hmm. I also think that most of them have moved on with their lives. And this was probably a good way for them to close that chapter, have that closure they needed. Right. And already kind of, I feel like a lot of them had already, I feel like most of them probably thought he wasn't going to be caught. Oh, you think that they so settled, that's what I'm trying to settled in the feeling yes. that he wasn't going to be caught. They were exactly to it. Yeah, that's exactly. And like now he is now they can see the face can say what they need to say and then get back on with their lives. And, and so many of them are so young. Mm-hmm. That's a, um, that's the thing I think they don't talk about enough is that the ages of the victims. Some of them were older. Like uh, yeah, Sharon, it, uh, he didn't really have exactly. Yeah, but also how young, especially his, yeah. his rape victims were. Mm-hmm. That's, so now we're adding pedophile to the list of fucking things. Like exactly, there's no, no limit. line. <laughs> yeah, there's no line that this guy wouldn't cross. Which makes me want to ask yeah. his daughters, like, you okay, girl? You good? Yeah. But I, I don't want to know the daughters' names, you know, because I don't feel like sense of the fathers and all that. I don't think that's a, a real thing. And I hope they live their life happy and peaceful, you know, uh, separate from what their father did. So I don't want to know the daughters' names. I don't want to know. Yeah. I don't want all of that. Uh, but no, exactly. They are not in. their father. No, <laughs> I just want someone to check in with them and be like, you good? You got this? Yeah. <laughs> Everything yeah. okay? I hope their therapists are great because yeah. and that's that, guys, is the official end to our episodes on I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Everything yeah. horrifying about the Golden State Killer, but everything beautiful yeah. about Michelle McNamara. Very true. Very, very well put. Uh, thanks for sticking it out through our very first ever book for our true crime podcast. Should we say what we're going to do next time? Yeah. So next time we're going to do In Cold Blood by Truman Capote, the OG of true crime books. And we just thought it would be good to start there. Um, We don't know if it's going to be one or two episodes. It certainly will not be three. We're still excited. Yeah, we're still figuring out a layout. And we're excited to keep doing this, sharing our thoughts, our opinions, because we know how everyone loves those. Yeah. Thank you for being here. Yes. Thank you for listening. And we hope you continue. Um, also, guys, have a great. Oh, go ahead. Hold on. I have to say oh. real quick. Oh, go say it, girl. Say it, girl. <laughs> I celebrated my birthday by uh, requesting <gasps> yes! my um, absentee ballot and then voted a couple of days later. Yeah. So, 
please vote. Please don't be a bag of dicks like Larry Crompton. And please just vote. Make the world a better place. Make some change. Do your part. The only thing we have actual control over is our votes. So get out there. Go do that. And research the people you're voting for. And remember, don't just vote for the president. Vote for your local government and your state government. That is important. And know what you're voting for. Just but vote for a president, too. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Make a good choice. We're not going to tell you how to vote. We're just going to say make a good choice, please. And that's it, guys. Thanks for joining us. All right. See you next time. Well, talk to you next time. (laughs) (laughs) That's stupid.